Hello, my name is Chloe Lim and I'm a third year medical student at University of British Columbia. Welcome to the Learn Oncology podcast series. This podcast series is produced alongside Dr. Paris Ingledu, a radiation oncologist at BC Cancer Agency. The goal of this podcast is to familiarize with the pertinent topics and core concepts in oncology and radiation oncology. Today, we will discuss spinal cord compression, which is one of the oncology emergencies. We hope you find this topic interesting and helpful. Special thanks to Dr. Ingledu for reviewing this podcast. So, here are our objectives for today. Number one, basic anatomy of the spinal cord. Number two, pathophysiology of spinal cord compression and why it is an oncology emergency. Number three, clinical symptoms of spinal cord compression. Number four, investigations and alternative diagnoses. Number five, basic management of spinal cord compression. New section, the case. Well, before we begin, let's start with the relevant case. You're a third-year medical student working in the oncology clinic. Mr. L is a 71-year-old male with prior prostate cancer who presents to the clinic with worsening back pain. He had definitive treatment for his prostate cancer two years ago. He is currently stable with intact ABCs. What is your next step? New section, basic anatomy of spinal cord. Before diving in deeper, let's review the anatomy of our spinal cord. Spinal cord is a nervous tissue that connects our brain to our body. There are five parts to our spinal cord, cervical, thoracic, lumbar, sacral, and coccygeal. In adults, the spinal cord ends around L1 and L2. After L1 and L2, the spinal cord becomes a bundle of spinal nerves called cauda equina, or so-called horse's tail. In total, the spinal cord is around 45 centimeters long in men and 43 centimeters long in women. The spinal cord sits nice and snugly inside the vertebral canal, posterior to the vertebral bodies. Each nerve root at a spinal level exits an intravertebral foramina. There are three layers of tissue that protects the spinal cord called the meninges. In a cross section of the spinal cord, there are neuronal white matter tracts which contain sensory and motor axons. Internal to this region is the gray matter where there are nerve cell bodies. Now that we have a basic understanding of the spinal cord, Let's learn about the pathophysiology of spinal cord compression. New section, pathophysiology of spinal cord compression. So how does spinal cord compression happen? It's because spinal cord is snugly fit inside the vertebral canal, which is a very limited space. You can imagine if there's any structure that is adjacent to the cord, it can easily compress the spinal cord. This can happen through different ways. Vast majority of SCC or spinal cord compression is via involvement of the vertebral body, resulting in the displacement or growth of a tumor into the epidural space. Both mechanisms result in reduction of the epidural space and a secondary compression of the spinal cord. 15% of SCC 
is due to paravertebral tumors. These tumors can invade the intravertebral foramina and cause similar pressure effects. This is commonly associated with lymphomas, neuroblastomas, as well as tumors in the posterior thorax or retroperitoneal tumors. Another rare cause could be a primary spinal tumor. Therefore, the direct compression causes demyelination and axonal damage, which secondarily causes vascular compromise as well. This vascular compromise leads to vasogenic edema. In the terminal stages of SCC, the arterial blood flow is impaired, consequently leading to cord ischemia. This will eventually lead to irreversible damage and frank infarction. New section. What is SCC syndrome? Let's get back to the case. You delve into Mr. L's history of his back pain. He first noticed a vague ache in his lower back three months ago, more so on his right side. The pain has worsened gradually over the last three months, and now it has worsened when he is sleeping. He denies any sensory changes, but admits that his right leg sometimes gives out. On review of systems, he denies any headache, visual changes, nor bladder or bowel dysfunction. Now you may be wondering, how worried do we have to be about SEC with cancer patients? Well, let's take a look at the incidence. We see around 3% develop SEC in 5 years from cancer. Common sources for SEC are the following. Myeloma, prostate cancer, nasopharynx cancer, lung, and breast cancer. In children, the tumor types that are common to develop SEC are different. These include sarcomas, neuroblastoma, Hodgkin's disease, and germ cell tumors. Due to prostate cancer being more of the common types of cancer that can cause SEC, you are rightfully worried. You continue with the neurological exam to evaluate any motor, sensory, or deep tendon reflexes changes. The physical exam reveals a normal sensory exam, and there is no saddle anesthesia. The pain is non-reproducible by light or deep palpation. The straight leg raised test is negative. The motor exam reveals a 4 out of 5 on right iliopsoas, Otherwise, all other muscle groups have symmetrical and equal strength of 5 out of 5. DTR are all equal at 2 plus. Before moving on, let's discuss the clinical symptoms of spinal cord compression. The most common symptom is back pain. This is often characterized by progressively worsening back pain, which is worsened by lying down or walking. There may be some localized pain with adjacent tissue compression and presence of radicular pain. Second most common symptom is motor weakness. This is present in majority of SCC patients. In the history, you may hear incidents of patients losing balance or progression of abnormal gait. This should give you a further clue. In severe cases, this could lead to paralysis. Other common symptoms are bladder and bowel dysfunction. Always ask about urinary retention or overflow incontinence during your history, and don't be afraid to examine sphincter tone. New section, investigations and alternative diagnoses. From the history and physical exam, you report to the medical oncologist regarding your high suspicion for a spinal cord compression. 
The oncologist agrees and decides to send Mr. L to an urgent MRI scan of the spinal cord. Why did your preceptor order an MRI? What about a CT with contrast? Well, the reasoning behind this modality is because MRI is the method of choice for diagnoses of SEC. This is because MRI is non-invasive and can be used to image the vertebral bones and areas around the spine, including soft tissues. It can assess for the main lesion, adjacent soft tissues, and edema as well. CT with contrast is useful only when time-limited. It has limited efficacy because it will not properly characterize the lesion and would not show edema. CT myelography or bone scan is less often used. So what are the differential diagnoses of SCC? Let's break it down to benign versus malignant. First off, think of benign causes that can lead to these symptoms. The biggest one is MSK disease, such as soft tissue injury, spinal stenosis from age, and disc herniation. If there is a presence of fever or other infection, think of infectious causes such as epidural abscess. Let's take a look at malignant causes. This can break off to two categories. It could either be metastatic cancer as we were discussing, or a primary tumor of the spine. New section, management of SCC. The MRI scan for Mr. Lee comes back with the vertebral body lesion at L2 level, compressing the adjacent spinal cord. There's also some edema present in adjacent levels such as L1. What are your next steps? SCC is truly an oncology emergency because if left untreated, it will cause irreversible neurological changes. First off, cortical steroids are the mainstay of therapy in SCC. This helps to reduce edema and can have tumoricidal effect on certain tumors, such as leukemia and lymphomas. In terms of a definitive treatment, external beam radiotherapy is a standard treatment. This treatment is the most effective in patients with radiosensitive tumors and who are ambulatory when they begin treatment. Radiation is typically given over five fractions, but may be abbreviated to a single treatment if needed. Surgical treatment is also an option. Tumor factors that might make one more likely to pursue surgery include spinal instability, bony compression, or radioresistant tumors. Patient factors are important when considering surgical management. Some patient features that suggest a patient might be a good fit for surgery are continuous neurological progression with radiotherapy, or in a young patient with limited bony disease where a combined approach of radiation and surgery may be the most long-lasting. Chemotherapy is often avoided since it doesn't usually respond in a timely fashion. Also, don't forget to treat the patient right in front of you. Analgesics are important in these patients to provide comfort from the pain. You could also help with urinary symptoms or prescribing an indwelling catheter. Corticosteroids are important to decrease swelling and inflammation. Typical doses range from 4 to 16 milligrams of Decadron daily. Be careful to monitor the blood sugars in patients who are at risk of hyperglycemia. After a thorough discussion with Mr. L, your preceptor puts in an urgent referral for radiation oncologist to help with his spinal cord compression. In the meantime, your preceptor prescribes him an analgesic and a corticosteroid. And that's it. 
Before you go about your day, let's review the main points. Number one, the spinal cord is a neurological structure that is enclosed within the vertebral canal. The vertebral body is posteriorly located from the spinal cord. Number two, spinal cord compression usually happens due to vertebral displacement from a tumor that invaded the vertebral body. Number three, clinical symptoms of SCC are back pain, motor weakness, sensory changes, and bladder or bowel changes. Number four, the mainstay investigation is an MRI of the spine. Other diagnoses in neurodifferentials should be benign causes such as soft tissue injury, spinal stenosis, disc herniation, and epidural abscess. Finally, number five, basic management of spinal cord compression includes corticosteroids and radiation therapy. Also, do not forget to treat the symptoms from SCC. Great job in following along. That's it for today's podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we will provide more helpful episodes in the future. If you would like to learn more, check out our website at learnoncology.ca.